There have been um, some opportunities uh, within the community and within the ministry to people uh, that have been... Uh, been experienced here right in our own community. Last Sunday, and, and I think as a national uh, expression, uh, there is a, a program that is entitled uh, Stand Sunday. And it's a focus on our foster program and, and to serve those who are less fortunate in our community. And uh, it, it really kind of gravitated our hearts a little more than a year ago. And, and, and what was happening in our own city, in our own county, as it related to the foster care program. And uh, I'm excited today. So last Sunday, with unfortunately, with Debbie and I being away, we just asked uh, Jess, who's with us today, I'll introduce her in just a moment, if we could kind of substitute, because we wanted to keep this fresh in front of this church family, this idea that there was an experience that happened a number of years ago about a pastor down in the deep south and, and was recognizing the need of, of kids that were without families, that were in the foster program. And, and from a very simple invitation, in fact, I think we've shown the video in the past, but from a very simple invitation that he just asked if there would be those in his congregation that would stand and do something, whatever they could do to help relieve the issue of kids that don't have a family. And, and I think that as he's retold the story a few times that, that he was hoping that there would be one person that would stand or maybe two out of his entire congregation. And as he led them in prayer one by one that, that almost the entire congregation stood and said, Pastor, we want to join with you. We want to do something for the children, for the kids in our community. And that really sparked just a, a national outreach that today, that now it has become a national stand Sunday. And we have taken heart of that over this last year, and there have been several in our own church family that have stepped into adoption or stopped uh, stepped into foster care, and we as a church, uh, I'll talk more about it a little bit later, have, have partnered with, with everyone that we can, but primarily with the Keystone Family Alliance, and uh, they are an organization that helps uh, all of the counties in Pennsylvania, but particularly right here in Erie, and Jess Peterson is uh, a local girl um, uh, right here out of our own uh, fellowship and church, and has been here in times past, and I asked uh, Jess if she would come back to real life today, that we could be reminded in this season uh, that, that there is still more to do to help families understand uh, the need of, of bringing children into a family. And so I'm so glad for part of the Keystone Family Alliance to have Jess Peterson with us to share with you uh, what is happening locally here in Erie and how we can be more involved in that program. So Jess, we're so glad to welcome you to real life. Would you give her a big real life welcome this morning? Jess, God bless you. Thank you so much for being with us today. We love you. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. It is absolutely wonderful to be back here. Uh, many of you recognize me, I'm sure. I am a Matson. Uh, I have been around Erie my entire life, um, but it is, it is truly a joy to be back here. Can you guys? We're going to maybe switch you out a little oh, bit. Okay. That one, Sounds good. Yeah, that one got a little goofy on us. Yeah, there you go. Thank you. Is that better? Now can everybody hear me? <laughs> All right. Well, uh, to recap, I am a Matson. I grew up here in Erie County, um, and so it's and it's absolutely wonderful to be back here at Real Life. Um, 
Thank you so much for your generous support over the years or over the months. Um, you, real life family, have been a crucial part in helping me step into the position that I am in. I am the Erie County Coordinator with the Keystone Family Alliance. And over the last several months, um, it has just been incredible what God has been doing, uh, not only here locally, which we'll talk about that, uh, but statewide. So last time I was here, I think we were only in about 10 counties in Pennsylvania. Our goal is to be in every single county in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, we are now in 16 counties. Uh, so praise the Lord uh, what he is doing throughout this state. Absolutely. Give him a round of applause. So our goal is to educate, motivate, and equip every Christian in the state of Pennsylvania about the needs of orphans and vulnerable children worldwide. And so locally, I mentioned, it has just been incredible what's been happening, but so many needs have been met, so many families have been supported, and so many children and youth have felt the love of Christ um, through, through the local church. A little bit about me, I am a former foster parent, now adoptive parent. Uh, I've welcomed over 10 kids through my home over the years. Uh, I know firsthand the joys and the struggles of welcoming these children from hard places into my home. Uh, honestly, uh, this last year, uh, we had nine kids in our home at one point, and I'm not sure if I could have carried out keeping those kiddos in, to, in my home and the mission without the support of the local church. A little bit of stats for you, and these are kind of numbers, um, and we'll talk about this for a minute, <clears throat> excuse me, but I'd like to share uh, a couple individual children uh, as well here. But in Erie County, there are 345 kids in foster care. The biggest need right now, honestly, is for children who have special needs, uh, specifically children who have autism. Um, there, is, there is a large amount of these children, and oftentimes it's difficult to place them uh, in a home. Uh, only, there are only 165 licensed foster homes, um, so there's definitely a deficient, uh, you know, there's a deficient number when you look at 345 kids versus 165 homes. In Erie County, there are 230 churches. If every church had one family open their home to these kids, we would be close to that 345 number, and these kids would be able to be in a home instead of an institution or a shelter. November is National Adoption Month, and in Erie County, there are more than 40 kids who are legally free and waiting to be adopted. This past week, I had a call with a social worker, and she was saying that on her caseload, she has about 20 children who are in need of a forever family. And these kids have grown up in Erie County. Um, this is all they know. However, there are no homes in Erie County willing to take these children, and so they are having to look at Philadelphia and Pittsburgh and other places throughout the state to find them a family. We're not saying that everyone uh, is called to be a foster parent or should be a foster parent uh, or an adoptive parent, but if the Lord is stirring that within your heart, please be obedient towards that. Um, there, there are so many kids who, who just want to have a family to spend the holidays with. Um, there are kiddos, this is the reality of it, there are kiddos in shelter right now who will not be spending the holidays with family. They will be spending it in a group home situation. So we just ask that you pray for the right families to rise up, and if that's you, please be obedient to that call. For the sake of privacy, I'm not going to share these kiddos' names, but I do want to share a little bit about their story just so that you have an understanding. I could, I could shoot out all the numbers in the world, but these are real kids who have real stories, who have real names. This little guy right here, he's on a bookmark, and I have a table set up in the back, and his bookmark is here. 
Um, this little guy has been in shelter for 16 months. He is seven years old. He has autism. He has some special needs. But he is thriving. He is, he is just blooming. And if he was placed in a family, his, his like the opportunities are endless for this little guy. This sweet girl here, um, she is a bundle full of energy. She loves uh, creative things. She loves baby dolls. Um, she is such a kid at heart. Uh, she is a preteen, uh, but she is so full of joy and so full of love. And she has been waiting for nearly 20 months for a forever family. Um, when she meets people, she will say, are you going to adopt me? She just, she is desperate for a family. And we understand that these kiddos come from hard places and they, they are put in this situation by no fault of their own, but they desperately deserve a family. So both of these bookmarks are out on my table in the back. If you would please take one, and if it is not you who opens your home to these children, please pray that the right family is found for these kiddos. If you remember the last time that I was here, uh, we shared a, a very simple step, a very simple, easy first step to get involved. So like I said, not everyone is called to be a foster parent, but we do believe that everyone can do something. So we have an online portal that social workers post needs on behalf of the families and the children. Over the last several months, we have been able to meet hundreds of needs, like hundreds. This past week alone, we were able to provide clothing for kids, beds, including sheets and pillows. And here's one thing, I never knew until I started doing this how big of a need it is for beds. And every child deserves to have a, a comfortable, warm, safe bed to sleep in. So we've been able to provide beds, dressers. We helped a single mom reunify with her son by providing a bed for him, a kitchen table, and a couch. We had a chat with a caseworker, another one, uh, this, this last couple days, and um, they were saying that they, use, that they have been able to use Gateway in a way that has tremendously helped speed things along for their family. In the past, the resources just weren't available to be, be able to provide a bed for a child so that they could go home. But because of Gateway, we've been able to exponentially uh, speed up that process for these families. Uh, again, if this is something that you have not signed up for, it's, it's a way to meet tangible needs of these families. Maybe you have things laying around your house. Maybe the Lord has blessed you financially and you're able to provide, uh, you know, a bed or a mattress for a child. Uh, there is a sign up again in the back. Uh, also, we are very, very excited that we have a green light uh, from, from Pastor Jim now to move forward with our care communities. So care communities are wraparound supports for our foster and adoptive families. People volunteer and they can help meet needs like meals, laundry, uh, like helping with laundry, helping with transportation, helping with yard work, repairs, babysitting, mentoring, the list goes on. Hasn't had, there's a couple that hadn't had a date night in several months because they have had a little guy placed with them. And because of their care community, they were able to start implementing weekly date nights. And meals, a meal is not just a meal. Uh, meals have been able to bless these families and give them more quality time with the kids that are in their home. There was a grandmother who took in uh, two her two grandsons who had severe special needs, and one of her requests when she received a care community was, can someone please help me take the garbage to the road? Because I can't get out away from them safely and know that they're safe and just walk it to the road. And she said, and if something was to happen to me just by taking my garbage to the road, um, you know, my, my grandsons wouldn't even know. 
But this was a very, very simple way that the care community, the wraparound support, those volunteers could come beside her and say, I can stop by once a week, take your garbage to the road so that you can be safe with your boys. We currently have nine families uh, who, who are requesting care communities who are saying, I can't do this alone. I really need some help. Can somebody please help me? So we have nine families that are requesting care communities. Um, and so we are very excited. We, we are very hopeful that we can get this up and rolling here at Real Life um, and, uh, and serve these families. Uh, foster and adoptive mom recently shared this. She said, in order to foster and in order for foster and adoptive parents to be the best that they can be for the kids in their home, while also maintaining their personal health, marriages, etc., they need support. A meal is not just a meal for these families. Babysitting is not just babysitting. It's other people saying, I see you, I love you, and I'm willing to make a small sacrifice to help you bear the weight of this journey. It's also showing our kids that they are loved and that there's a village of people there to support them. Again, I invite you after the service at the table, there will be a sign-up sheet for care communities. If you would like to stay up to date on where we are headed in that direction, please, please sign up. Your name, email, phone number. I will leave you with this. The purpose of orphan care isn't to make us feel like a savior, but to lead us to the savior. The relationships we make with these children and with these families caring for them allows us to be the hands and feet of Jesus in a real and practical way. It's a true privilege that we get to step into their world, and honestly, sometimes it's messy and it'll cause us pain. But no amount of this mess or pain stopped Christ from entering the world and offering us sonship. We truly believe that everyone can do something. What is your something? Thank you. You don't know my name. You can't see my face. You might not know I even exist. I hate living in limbo, not knowing what my future holds. I don't want my past to predict my future. My mom was a teen in foster care. She aged out without anyone and ended up homeless and then pregnant with me. Now, I'm in foster care. What if I end up like my mom? Will I always be alone? God, if you exist, please send someone to step into my story and break this cycle. God, are you even listening? Everyone has a role to play in a child's story. What will yours be? Jess, thank you so much for uh, taking those moments to share with us. Um, you know, last year as we started to get involved, and I'll share a little bit more as we go through the service today, um, is how, how can we play a bigger part and for whether we can, I think our, our first step is that we would love to have families here at Real Life become 
foster parents or at least respite families where there is a, a direct link where we can help children to understand what, what family is all about. Um, and, and if that isn't quite where we're at right now, that as Jess and I were talking this week, that of these nine families that uh, we're already working with our real love group about how we can begin to wrap around. Some of these families don't go to church. They don't have a, a connection in any way, and it's an opportunity for us to provide some of that support. And so over this next, I won't even say a year, but but before this next year, that, that we're going to take some big strides to help uh, families in our own community. And, and again, hopefully, primarily, that we will have families that can step up in a greater way here and that we can wrap around that family. I think the statistic that uh, Jess and uh, Vince gave us last year, that when families enter into saying, okay, we're going to take the leap and we're going to become a foster parent, if they don't have that wraparound, like 90% of them only last a, about a year. Is that correct? And they realize, wow, this is so overwhelming. It's way more than, than we could ever imagine. But when they have that wraparound group that comes with them and provides a lot of those support and resources that they continue to be um, long-term, whether adoptive families, foster families, or even into adoptive families. So the one really needs to have the other that, that we are providing um, to success for the family. So really today, um, I want to make sure that you stop by and see uh, Jess at the table. Uh, if there's something in your heart, um, again, that will help to spark even more uh, what we can do at Real Life to, to make Make something matter in the lives of these kids. Uh, again, I think when when uh, when Debbie and I have had a couple of moments over uh, over our years, uh, I, I remember one when we were down in the Harrisburg area uh, in relating to Thanksgiving. I think when we're sitting around our table to be grateful and thankful for our family and and those that are going to be around our table, my heart oftentimes goes to the moment and is just even said today, how many there won't be around a family table at Thanksgiving. They'll be in an institution or uh, there, are, there are some kids that I know sometimes have to stay and live at the OCY office um, at, for, for brief times or days because there, there is nowhere for them. And my heart always goes out, certainly as I think when we sit at our Thanksgiving table. There was a, a time when, um, when we were living down in Harrisburg and we lived near a, a kind of a rural highway um, and uh, someone had broken down on the highway on Thanksgiving trying to get to their family. And uh, we were kind of the lone house near the exit. And a guy knocked on our door and said, you know, I'm broken down. I, I can't get a tow truck. I have, you know. And it was a moment we said, well, you found a family to have Thanksgiving with today. And we invited him into our house. Uh, my mom, my sister was there. Um, and we had him over for Thanksgiving. Um, it was not what he had planned. It was not what we had planned. But it turned out to be a memory, a, a wonderful memory to realize that we can open up our door um, and, and realize that there are more seats at the table that we want people to take advantage of. And so I hope that you will pray with us, um, that you'll be inspired today, that, that as a church that we'll do more. Again, make sure that you get a chance to greet Jess and talk to her, um, and how we can continue to partner with the Keystone Family Alliance in the days ahead. So I want to jump into our message today. I know that I am going to be on a severe time 
limit as well today because probably right around 11.30, you're going to start to smell wonderful Puerto Rican food um, that is going to be made available to you to help our track program, again, which correlates with our own foster care effort here. So if you have not gotten your invitation or seen the Facebook post, make sure that you hang out a little bit and back in the Connect Corner, um, there is wonderful food that's going to be available for purchase where all of those funds are going to be able to help our track program. So make sure that you... uh, that you do that, make a little detour before you leave church today, and stay with me all the way till 11.30. I have you till 11.30, all right? Um, and, then, and then we're going to celebrate after that. You heard Pastor Bailey talk about join the family. Um, that's going to be happening as well. So a lot of great events. But I wanted to take a moment and share with you about this theme of adoption today. With this being National Adoption Month and, and really this Stand Sunday that, that we want to partner with today, You know, there are a number of themes in Scripture that have caused numerous interpretational debates. And depending on how long you have been in church, you may or may not be aware of things. Depending on how people determine or interpret different language in Scripture, depending on their theological background or sometimes when or even where you grew up, that that sometimes we have the way of, of making the Bible say what we want it to say. I mean, we're living in really troubled times again right now, and you hear a lot of people talking about the rapture of the church. And we know from a theological standpoint that there are some that believe that in this tribulation time that the rapture is going to happen before that happens, maybe in the middle of that, or maybe all the way at the end. And these issues get debated over the decades. There are some within the Pentecostal realm that are, 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 are wondering about the, the gift of tongues or speaking in tongues. And, and again, another issue that has been debated over the years, that is it of God? Is it for today? Is it needed? And these debates go on and on and on. However, I believe that there is one scriptural passage that is without debate. And we read it in James chapter 1. It says this, religion that God our Father accepts, listen to these words, as pure and faultless. A faith in Christ, a, a, a a lifestyle that we that call ourselves believers in, one that is pure and faultless is based on this, to look after the orphans and the widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. James tells us that, that if we are going to claim the, the label of being a follower of Christ, then then the, the value or the validation of our faith in him is based on what is pure and faultless, and that is the care for others, the cares for those that are in vulnerable conditions in their life. And I want you to know that the care for others, it's harder than you think. We tend maybe at Thanksgiving time or if there are moments where, you know, someone shares a video or there's a little tug on our heartstrings, but let's be honest, more times than not, we tend to be selfish rather than selfless. And we look to twist and turn 
the Bible to, to do and let it say so that we can do what we want it to do. But there is one verse above and all that is not about us or not about ways that we can twist it to get out of the most so that it does what we want it to do. But, but what is about God and what is about others as we recognize that, that our faith and our trust in Christ, that which is pure and faultless, has more to do about others than it does about ourselves. Paul helps to define this struggle of humanity in two different chapters in the book of Romans. Romans chapter 7 and chapter 8 where he defines for the church and for you and I this, this theological debate at times in which we want to twist and turn scripture. And if you read through chapter 7, you'll find this, that Paul details for us the struggle of I, of me, of mine. Over 40 times he talks about that struggle that, that we have in this sense of life where we hope everything kind of centers around I or me or mine. And Paul's conclusion at the end of chapter 7, his own struggle with, again, this desire of knowing what I should be doing, but I don't do that. Why? Because my flesh, because it's those things that I want to twist and turn to get the most out of it so it benefits me the most. Paul says that all of the end, you can read, in Romans chapter 7, what a wretched man I am. Who is going to deliver me from this body of death? He said, the more I focus about myself, the more I try to make it work for me, at the end, it's just a disaster. And then he parallels that. He compares that in the next chapter, in Romans chapter 8. And he admonishes us and he encourages us to live life by and through the spirits. He begins to make the contrast, like, if you want to make it all about you, about your flesh, about your desires, let me, let me just give you the heads up. It's going to end up in a disaster. You, you think you're going to be happy. You think you're going to be fulfilled. But, but after a while, you're going to recognize that, that it's just going to be a bomb that's going to go off in your life. And so rather than that, let me tell you where real joy, where real life can be found, and that is by by understanding what life in the Spirit is all about. You see, our mindset, without being led by the Spirit, is always going to be about pleasing ourselves, pleasing our flesh. What chapter 7 details for us over and over again. My selfishness, my desires, me clutching and holding on to that idea of what is mine or what is about me. In fact, Jesus talked about it in his own Sermon on the Mount where he began to unveil what the kingdom of heaven, what the kingdom of God is all about. We read it in Matthew chapter 6. He said, don't store up for yourselves treasures here on earth where moth and vermin and rust and where thieves can break in and steal. This whole idea of what, look what I'm packing away. Look, look what's going to be available for me. The, the Romans 7 kind of idea. Jesus warned what the kingdom of God, what a believer in him is all about. It's not about packing it all away for you. He said, but instead store up for yourself treasures that are in heaven, things where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there so also will be your heart. You see, Jesus wanted to get a, a real picture about what's going to determine the direction of our life. You see, what life am I trying to please? That life of flesh, 
that, that I, me, my, or that life in the spirit where I want to be a vessel and I want to be a tool where God can use me. So more than just that my heartstrings get tugged on every once in a while, but I start every day by saying, God, I desire, I determine to do your will, not my will. I'm not packing in treasures for me where they're just going to rust, where, where they're just going to get left when I die, but I want to send them ahead. I want to do what the kingdom of heaven is all about. And sometimes people wonder, Pastor, how do I determine what is of flesh, what is of spirit? Well, my answer to you is, is the one that I am giving the most attention to. It gives us an opportunity, certainly at Thanksgiving, it gives us an opportunity like today on a stand Sunday to recognize, really what am I doing for those that are in crisis, those that are vulnerable, those that are at need in our own community. We don't have to look for the larger cities of Pittsburgh or Philadelphia in our own state. We can recognize, and by having Jess here today to recognize there are hundreds of kids today that are without a family. Hundreds of kids that, that are not going to be around a table at Thanksgiving. Kids that are asking the question about what's wrong with me because somehow they've been abandoned or abused. And, and we as the people of God, we as the church have got to determine there is something more that we can do. These are our treasures here in Erie County. These are our treasures that we have to understand that, that there is more that we must do to help provide what it is to be a follower of Jesus. James said pure religion, what, what the people of God really need to be about, that which is pure, that which is faultless, is that we take care of those who are vulnerable and those who are in need. For Debbie and I, then, then maybe you would know a long time ago, uh, after we had our, our son, our first son, Jimmy, we were struggling for quite a while to have another child. We, we wanted to grow and expand our family, but there ultimately are seven years between Jimmy and Jocelyn. And, and in those years, we were wanting to add to our family, but, but it was a struggle. And during that time, I was traveling overseas quite a bit doing missions work. And I had been to Bolivia on a number of occasions, and uh, on those occasions, from the very first time, there was a little girl by the name of Maria. One of the, the places that we went to work, and I won't have time today to tell you the whole story, but, but in Bolivia, uh, they don't have prisons like that are in your mind that are here in America. They are basically just walls, like big, large, walled areas and the prisoner and his family, they are primarily responsible to take care of the individual who has been incarcerated. And so usually around a large prison, there is a barrio that raises up because family has to come from wherever they are, and they have to supply the food or the finances or the living condition for the family member who has been incarcerated. And one of the missionary friends that, that I knew um, saw that need and wanted to build a school, wanted to provide something for the children that some of them actually lived inside of the prison. And some of the heartbreaking stories of some of the things that were happening to these kids living inside of the prison was absolutely devastating, not only to them, but for people that wanted to, 
to do something for them to help them understand the horror in which they were living. And there were many occasions in which I would stand at the front door of these large gates of a prison and watch dozens of little kids come out of a prison. I would put them on my back and we would walk them over to the Palmasola School that was built by churches just like real life so that at least for several hours throughout the day that they were unconditionally loved, that they were taught an education, that they were given medical supplies, that we were feeding them. And so year after year, I was finding myself at the Palmasola School and doing everything that we could to provide something for these children that were living a nightmare. There was one particular girl by the name of Maria who I met on my first trip. She was probably five or six years old, and it was just kind of one of those human connections. She was just a little doll baby, and, and, uh, and every time there was a chance to play and be on the, on the playground or whatever, I found myself moving away of, of not laying bricks and blocks, but running over and, and just hanging out with some of these kids and playing games. And, and, and Maria definitely got a hold of my heart. And, and so we we're only there for maybe 10 days or so, and, but I had a chance to come back, and there was Maria. And, and we came back a third year, and, and there's Maria. And uh, there was just kind of this uh, magnetic connection, and we talked about her a lot. In fact, I'm sorry, just kind of getting back late from, from Florida, I was going to get some pictures up um, and, and just hopefully make that connection with you today that didn't happen. But, but on that third trip, Kind of right, right before we were getting ready to leave, her mom uh, stopped over to the school and was talking to the missionary. And it was somewhat of a, in my mind, I guess, like a, a heated debate that was taking place. And the, they were speaking in Spanish. I didn't really know enough at the point to hear or understand everything that was happening. And the missionary's wife walked over towards me, tears running down her eyes. And she said, Pastor Jim, that mother is bargaining with Jack about what you will pay for her daughter. I said, what do you mean? He said, this mother wants to sell her daughter to you. She knows that you're an American. She knows that you have money. And she realizes that her life will be better off if she can get the maximum amount of money out of you and that you would take her daughter off of her hands. Man, our world got turned upside down. This is a number of years ago. This was before cell phones. This was before texting. There was no way for me to get back to Debbie right away. It was a long, much more arduous process. In fact, within the hours we went to the consulate, we were talking to some of the government officials within the community to see if it was even possible and that overnight I was able to get a hold of Debbie. Again, remember at this time we had had a daughter yet. And I told Debbie, I said, listen, I think I'm coming home with our daughter. I said, I don't know what to do, but my, my heart and this opportunity for this little girl and the way it just came to us. And we're going to the government tomorrow and we're going to see if it's possible and whatever it takes for us to be able to bring Maria home. Unfortunately for that part of the story is, is that because Maria was over five years old, the government would not release her uh, to me or, or to move out of the country, that there would not be a process to be able to adopt children at that place over the age of five. Fortunately, the missionary in recognizing the, the, the situation and the story that was going on intervened and, and was able to get Maria out of the house. And, and I could just you know jump ahead long part in the stories that, that the story turned out 
way, way well for Maria. That, that through the missionaries and through another family, that her life got, was restored to, to what a, a kid's life should be. And, and the, the end of the story turned out to be really good for Maria. But, but Debbie and I wrestled for a long time in that moment to say, what would our life have been? What change would that have been? You see, when we think about adoption, what I want you to understand with you this morning is, is that the story of adoption, it's not just Maria's story, but it's your story. And it's my story. You see, for those of us who are of faith, we have all been adopted. You see, we don't look down our nose at, at those that are trying to be adopted when we recognize is that each and every one of us had to go through the process of adoption. You see, one of the things that adoption does is that it gives us a future. You'll hear Jess talk about, they call them forever families. You see, what these kids in the foster care program are desiring is not just to get passed from one family to another, but they can find one that's going to hold on to them and keep them forever. You see, what adoption brings to us is a future. Humanity We were created in God's image. We go all the way back to the beginning in Genesis chapter 1. The Bible says that God made man in his image, in his own likeness. And listen, for this one purpose, we were created to reveal God, to reflect God's glory, to express God's character. What was true at the very beginning still is true today, and to put his glory on display, that we should be Examples that we should be reflections, that we should be the perfect model about what the character and what the glory of God is to humanity as we reveal that and we share that to others. Again, Romans chapter 8. That, that we were created to live this life in the Spirit as God's people. But unfortunately, the story goes to Genesis chapter 3 where we see the fall of man, Romans chapter 7. Man decided that they knew better, that that I knew better than God, and it caused a split in that relationship. Now humankind, you, I, all the way from Adam and Eve, we would be sinful, incapable of reflecting or expressing the glory of God on our own. Again, we read in Romans chapter 3, 4, we recognize today, for we have all sinned and we all fall short, what, if you know it, of the glory of God's. And that is universally true as human, as fallen humanity. We can't do what we were created to do on our own. Our future was lost. Again, that's where I say when when Paul talked about in Romans chapter 7, all this idea of I, me, mine, it just brings death. It just brings hopelessness, emptiness. We think we are winning, but unfortunately, the reality is, is that we are losing. Romans chapter 6 goes on to tell us that the penalty of sin, the Bible says, for the wages of this sin, uh, of this rebellion, of this idea that I know more than God, the Bible pronounced as what? Sin. Death. The wages of sin brings death. Whenever we read about death in Scripture, we can equate it to separation. Death brings separation. Death equals separation. We know that when we die physically, what happens? We're separated. Our body and our spirit do not abide in the same place. Spiritually, we recognize when we are spiritually dead, we are separated from God's living presence in our life. And the Bible tells us 
at some point, we can be eternally separated. Our death will be eternally separated from God when we don't enter into a relationship with God through Jesus Christ. So we as a people would have been without a future, but thankfully enter Jesus Christ. Can somebody say amen with me today? You see, the story is horrible, and it would have been Maria's story. It could have been our story. It could be the story of these in Erie County in the foster program. It seems like their story is a nightmare, but somebody stepped in and turned it all around. You see, not only do we have an opportunity to do that in the human sense, but we do that as a reflection, as a mirror of what God did for every one of us. Our story would have been a nightmare. Our story would have been horrible, but somebody, Christ, stepped in and changed your story. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus, today. Somebody took us out of the gutter and put us in to the throne room today. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 and 2 say this, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace. We've been redeemed. Somebody say amen. We've been redeemed. Our story got turned around. We have peace with God. Who? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through now we have what? Gained access. At one time we were on the outside looking in. At one time we were hoping we had a family to sit at the meal table with. At, at one point we hoped that, that we could have somebody to call a, a father, that, that there could be a, a healing in our heart, but that was all lost. But only through Christ now we gain access by faith into this grace in which now we stand. See, Stand Sunday means more to us when we recognize through what Christ has done for us. Now we have gained access to come in to the presence of God, and it's through his grace by which now we are confident that we are called the children of God. It is this grace by which now we stand, and even more, we boast in the hope of what? The glory of God. Our future was hopeless but through Christ, through the power of his spirit in our life, now we stand again as, represent, as representing the glory of God. About what true religion is, this pure and faultless, about looking to others, about doing something more for those who find themselves in need. You see, adoption gives us a restored future, but it also gives us a father. You see, when you look at Jesus, in fact, Jesus said this to those that were challenging who he was. He says, when you see me, what? You see the Father, right? In fact, John chapter 1, verse 14 says, we beheld his glory. Whose glory? The glory as of the only one begotten of the Father. You see, before Christ, we were lost, incapable of seeing God or knowing God in his splendor. But Christ not only provides for you and I a seat at the table, he provides intimacy with us, with the Father. You see, our adoption is more than just in name, but I want you to know it comes now by a birthright. You see, we're not wondering, like, is, is my adoption equal to the biological child? And I think that we could practically think, like, and maybe children that are adopted, they there might be this question in their mind, because I am not biologically the, 
the, the, the child of these who are now calling themselves my parent? Do I, do I really count, really? I mean, they brought me into the house. They, they, they provided a bed for me. But, but maybe there is something in the back of their mind always wondering, but am I a real child? See, and sometimes you can feel that way when you come to church or you hear Pastor Jim talk about the, the, the gospel or the glory of the, the story of hope, and yet you wonder because of your story, because of your past, is there really a seat for you? Is there really the opportunity of intimacy with the Father? Because you think about all of the ways that you have lived your life as a cast out, never really understanding, but am I really a son or a daughter? But the Bible tells us over and over that we have the right to be called the children of God. That through Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit, that we have not just a father, one that we kind of have to mind our P's and Q's, or a God to be feared, or a God to be revered. But Paul helps us again in Corinthians to understand that we have a father that we recognize is an Abba father. Is a father who wants to glory in his children, who wants to recognize that although we were once lost, but now we're found. We were once on the outside, but through Christ we get a seat at the table and that we become a child with the full birthright of every child to sit at the table with the father. There is intimacy with him. Let me try to make some more sense out of that with you. How many of you remember bugging your parents as a child, when you wanted to show them something that you could do. Do you remember being like maybe five years old, six years old, and maybe your parents had some friends over and some family, right? And, and, and they're talking. It's, you know, how many remember kids should... And, and you would go rushing in. They're having coffee. They're talking about adult stuff. But, but you learned some trick or you knew... And you're just like yanking on your dad's coat sleeve or, or you're just, you know, and, and what? You're getting brushed aside like, this is the adults. Like, go sit at the kids' table. Like, we don't want anything to do with you in this moment, right? This isn't your space. And a lot of you just never gave up, right? You wanted to show off to your parents, to your friends, whatever you could do. I, I don't know if Lauren is here today. I was going to embarrass her a little bit. But I remember when Lauren Bush, uh, just small, she was a, gym, a gymnast, a little gymnast. And, and even when they first made back to real life, I mean, I don't know how old she was. But she would, like, come to me after church. Pastor Jim, I'm going to do a handspring like all the way down the hallway of the church. Like, you got to watch this, right? And she could do it, right? But I won't tell that story because it might embarrass her today. So, I, <laughs> But we remember, right? Maybe you were able to jump out of a tree, right? Like a, and, and you brought your mom out, right? Just because you know it would, like, scare her to death. That, but you wanted to show off, right, for your mom or for your dad. I'm thinking that maybe or maybe not we can remember some of those moments. But I do bet that we can remember all the times our parents failed to show up or glory in your accomplishments. I'm not sure there's a moment how old we get that we remember that the time where mom and dad didn't show up. Where to some achievement, to some reward, to some activity that you are part of. I grew up in central Pennsylvania a small little podunk town. And I think that as I reflect on my growing up, I, I would tell people I was a pretty big fish in a pretty small pond. I was a pretty good athlete. I was a pretty good student. And I got a lot of accolades. I had a lot of big 
deals as a kid. The more I went into high school and I realized that the pond got way bigger, I got a little bit smaller. But there were times in my growing up days where I was a pretty big deal as a kid. My dad was a pastor. And back in the day, and, and maybe I don't know if it, if it probably has changed some, but back in the day, growing up as a pastor's kid, we lived under the bubble that the church always came first. That no matter what happened, the family always kind of took a back seat because the church was way more important. And that's the way I grew up. And I was a star pitcher in our Little League team. Whenever there was a, a valued game, I was the one on the pitcher's mound. But you know what? The memory that I have, unfortunately, is that my parents rarely came to any of my games because there was always something at the church that was more important than my Little League game. I've matured in the sense and recognize, obviously, I've gone into ministry. I recognize I can, I can figure that out. I can walk through that in my life today. But there was a moment where I became a parent of a son. And I had that kind of hooks in me that the church always came first. And I remember that when Debbie and I moved to Harrisburg and putting Jimmy into school and recognizing it was valid, valid and needed to get him into an event or a sport or an activity so that he could get connected. And we got to school. He wanted to, he wanted to try wrestling. Obviously, Pennsylvania is pretty famous for its wrestling program. I don't know if Officer Tom is here today, but, uh, but wrestling is a big deal in Pennsylvania. And he was, I think it was like sixth grade or seventh grade. And I was like, man, that is not the time in Pennsylvania to start to become a wrestler. Usually, you got to stop start when you're about four months old, I think, is when most wrestlers in PA get their starts, right? And I'm thinking, man, he, is in, he doesn't know what he's in for starting wrestling first time in seventh grade. And he had his first match. It was on a Wednesday night. Again, if I could just go back into church history a little bit, back in the day, we used to have church every Wednesday night, and he said, Dad, my, my wrestling match, my first wrestling match, it's at 6.45 on Wednesday night. And right away, I was drawn to that issue. I can't go. We have a Wednesday night service. And I have to be there for the service. It starts at 7 o'clock. And I remember those moments where I wondered the glory of my father. I wished I could look into the stands and see that my dad was there cheering me on. And I wrestled with that, and I talked it over with Debbie. And to be quite honest with you, I, didn't, I only led the teaching that didn't start till probably 7.30 or 7.40. I didn't need to be at the church at 7 o'clock. Even if church was started, I didn't need to be there. You might not know this. This might be new to you, but the church doesn't need me to run. Right? And I realized that this is a moment I'm sure that I've disappointed my son on many occasions. But I recognize that this is one moment that he could not look back on to recognize that the glory of his father was not there. You see, I want you to know that we have a heavenly father who wants to glory in his kids. I would say that if you're a parent today, if you're a dad, you probably have a lot of angst in your spirit to recognize 
of the moments that we've missed in raising our kids, maybe raising our boys, the times where we thought something was more important than that moment. But I want you to know that Scripture tells us that we have a father who has brought us in that never, that never leaves us, that wants to glory in the hope of what your life will produce, not only for you, but for others. I remember when Jocelyn was small, we took her to the zoo, and, and one of the highlights, I think, of taking your kids to the zoo is ultimately getting to the lion exhibit, right? Because kind of the hope is that maybe as a dad is that you want to get the lion to roar, right? Most of the time, they just yawn, right? They're asleep, right? And so what do most of us do as dads, right? We like beat on the cage, right? We yell, we scream, we do something, right, that, to try to get the lion's attention because we want it to roar. And on this one occasion, uh, we got the lion. And I mean, it was this massive lion roar that he, that he jumped out. And in that moment, Jocelyn jumped from being a flat-footed little girl to jumping up on me, legs wrapped around my waist, arms around my neck, starting to cry. It scared the life out of her. And I said to her what every good father would say to her, Jocelyn, I'm here. I'm here to protect you. Now, how many know that if that lion could have come out from behind that cage, there was nothing, come on, say it with me, dads, nothing that we could do to protect her? The only thing I could have said was what? Jocelyn, you run that way. Lion, eat me, right? Like that's about the end of that story. The best that I could do to protect her was what every dad I think would do. Listen, that's why I'm here, honey. I've got you covered. But listen, at that moment, she didn't question, man, I really wonder if, if he's my dad. I wonder if like, like this was just a story that they told me or that there was some paper that was signed sometime long ago. She never questioned why because there was a spirit that connected with my spirit all of her days. And even in that moment, she knew that her father was there to protect and to provide for her. There always to be her daddy. See, that spirit inside of her said, when I needed protected, I know that my daddy has me. When I'm in trouble, I know that my daddy will rescue me. When I am surrounded I know who's willing to step in and shield me from the roaring lions, my daddy. You see, and although we have a God who sent his son for us, and he is still a God to be feared and to be reverenced, but we also have a God who glories in his children, who is a daddy that ever you feel misplaced, left out, lost, there is a daddy who is willing to step in and not just adopt you, but you to understand you are of his own blood. And because we have been adopted by the Father, there is a spirit. Do you hear me today, church? There is a spirit within us that testifies that there is a great and glorious God. One who loves us beyond our wildest imagination. We know his perfect, unfathomable love, and we know the depths of his glory and his grace. The Bible says this, if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God. You see, the adoption gives us a perfect Abba Father, and let me close today 
And in addition, we get a family. You see, adoption has brought to every one of us a future. It has brought to us a father. But it brings to us a family. Listen, maybe a family that's not a perfect family. Can somebody say amen? Right? The church family is like your family. There are some crazies every once in a while that show up. We get a family. Look around. We're not a perfect family. But we have a desire to be the best we can be under God's family. Let me ask you a question today. Do you know what every kid wants who's in the foster system? You see, your kids, you know what they want, right? They want toys. They want a new bike. They want new clothes. They want a Barbie. They want Legos. They want a baseball glove. Listen, you as a parent can barely keep up with what your kids want. But do you know what the kids in the foster care system want? They want a family. They want a family. I want you to watch this with me for just a moment. Think they all agree that this adoption ought to go forward? Yeah, they all love <laughs> <laughs> They all love them. Yeah, we all love them. Like, our whole family is like the best thing we that people make when they adopt? Yeah, I'm glad to be there. Um, so. They're just really the best thing I ever had. Oh, I, so I can wish, if I wish anything worse, I just wish that, like, <laughs> I could just love these people for, like, the rest of my life. If I had any doubts, there. <laughs> Sean, I'm going to ask you first if you'll approve the adoption. I'd officially <laughs> say yes. Do you approve? All right. Would you show us? I think when I saw that for the first time, I'll be honest with you, I had to kind of wipe some tears from my eyes. You see, all they wanted was a family. They wanted to be adopted. See, the fact is, is that we... We have all been adopted. And I don't ever want us to take for granted that God was willing to send his son to buy us back. It was through his blood that he shed and our recognition that we couldn't do it. In fact, again, if it was up to us, it would all be about me, mine, I. But God provided a life in the spirit today that changes our focus from this to others. The mission of Keystone Alliance would hopefully get some of us to not only foster, but ultimately to adopt. But as you heard Jess say today, we realize that that's not always feasible. But yet there are dozens of other ways that we can help bring hope to kids who are trapped, as we say, in the system. It was a year ago that Vince Smith was here. It was kind of Jess's boss. 
that was introducing us to the Keystone Family Alliance. And from that day, we gave them, real life, gave them a $500 gift and said, we are gonna take you on every month to be a missionary, to be a representation of the mission of real life. And we've committed monthly support to them every month since. But I believe with all of my heart today, real life, that we can do, we must do more. There are seats at the table that are emptied of kids looking in, wanting adoption. And I don't know how it is for all of us that have been adopted, every one of us that have been adopted, cannot prayerfully consider as a family, as a mom and dad, as a single adult to say, Pastor Jim, listen, I'm signing my name up. I don't know where you can use this. I don't know what this will mean, but, but I trust that in the next couple of weeks or months, along with Jess and the team, we're going to figure something out. And I'm going to do something for others that was done for me. In fact, the Bible tells us that while we were lost, Romans 5 goes on, while we were lost, while we were an enemy to God, God sent his son Christ to redeem us, to give us the opportunity to become a child of his, to be an Abba Father. So I want to lay it on you today and on us that there is more I know in all of my heart that we can do. God has blessed us with an amazing family at real life. We talk about it a lot, the family at real life. But hear me today, church, there are still seats at the table that are in need of being filled. Listen, for some of you, it might just be your pocketbook and to say, listen, Jim, I understand. Like, my heart is with you, but we're at a point in life. Like, I don't think any of that is possible, but we want to give to help. Maybe some of you, again, can do it temporarily or as a respite family. Or some of you can become foster parents. Or maybe some of you, who knows where that step will lead to become a forever family. I don't know how that's going to affect each and every one of us, but all I'm going to do is ask if we passionately pray about that today. Is there something more that we can do? Today we're recognizing track in the ministry that they have. Today I talked to the other day to Officer Tom. That's why I'm not sure if he's here today, but he was going to bring some of the, the PAL leader kids while so many of the police officers are going into the tougher neighborhoods in, in Erie, into the schools and trying to provide some help and hope for them, that we support PAL as well and what Tom and what the officers are doing to make something significant happen in the lives of our kids. I think Jess knows at this point that whenever she calls Pastor Jim at real life, the answer is always yes. But I want to increase that response. And again, Jess gave us some ideas and we're going to meet with real love and some ways to step in. But I want you to realize today that through our adoption, that we would become people of adoption to those that are in need those that are living right here within our community. Let me finish before I pray for you today. Because maybe in your heart or in your life spiritually, you might say, Pastor Jim, I don't know that I have ever asked Christ in my life. I don't know that I'm a child of God. 
maybe you're sitting at the far end of the couch and you realize, well, it sounds like Pastor Jim is in or Debbie or it sounds like Pastor Bailey or, or others, but, but I don't know that God really is my father. You see, today is a wonderful opportunity for you to come into the family. For you to recognize, you don't have to question, am I a legitimate son or daughter of the Father? You see, it all comes through us accepting what Christ has done for us already. The work that He provided on Calvary, on the cross, was the entryway for you and I to become not just adopted, but to become a son and daughter of God today. And I want to pray for you that if you feel far from God today, that I want you to recognize that the work of adoption has already been offered to you. All you have to do is accept it. It's just like those two little boys on the video. It was all done for them. They just simply had to agree. Do you agree with this spirit of adoption? That this family loves you. This family wants you to be theirs. This family has done everything that that was required of them so that you could become their son. All you have to do is agree. And today, in our spirit life, in our eternal life, the only way we go to heaven, the only way we get to God is by accepting Christ into our life. That's the portal. That's what makes us a forever child of God. And if you have never done that, I'm going to pray with you today. Simply, God didn't make us do handsprings down the aisle somehow to please Him. God simply said, I've done all of the work. I've just laid it out for you to have to believe and to do. I've done the work. I just leave it for you to know in your heart, this is what I want to do. I love the story of that little boy taking the gavel and the judge asked him, is this what you want? This is what I want. Today I would encourage you as I pray that if you want to be a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God, then simply ask Christ today to come into your life through the spirit of adoption that you can know that the hope of heaven is yours today. Amen.